Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, if you want to follow along. And so it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, Father, I uh, thank you for this room, and I thank you for these people, and I pray um, that over the next few minutes, uh, you would do work inside us. I pray that um, as we look at this story, that um, you would draw us to yourself, that you would fill us with uh, courage as we learn how to neighbor. And I pray that um, you would just wake us up to uh, our purpose and identity of what you have uh, for us through you. Um, I pray uh, right now for the wildness of the world. A lot of us are coming in um, with uh, Afghanistan and Haiti and places all over the world in our hearts. And so we just ask you for mercy. We um, one of the things we believe is most true in the world is that there is nothing irredeemable and nothing irreconcilable to you. And so we ask that you in your mercy um, would be in the places where our hearts are. Uh, a lot of us, it's not just things over the world, but it's things in our own lives and things in our own heart that we bring into this room. And so uh, as your people, just collectively, we just we put them before you right now, believing that there is nothing irredeemable, nothing irreconcilable outside or within you. And so we ask you uh, to fill us with um, peace and rest, uh, even if just for a moment, even if just in this room, so that we can go out about our days uh, today. 
be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we are continuing a series we've been in the last couple of weeks uh, talking about neighboring, the art of neighboring. Um, if you have missed those, if this is your first week with us, um, I'm not normally like um, telling you to go check out my podcast, but go check out my podcast. Um, uh, uh, this is, neighboring has become a very big deal to our church and a very big deal to us at Springbrook and our entire organization. And so it, it is worth um, maybe checking out the last couple of weeks and catching up. I'll catch you up a little bit uh, today, but um, it, it has been really fun for me to write a series on neighboring because, um, well, I am a procrastinator by nature. Uh, so every time I sit down to write a sermon, I end up just kind of going through uh, neighbors in my life uh, since I was tiny and just replaying these stories. Uh, I keep calling my dad. I think he thinks there's an emergency, and I'm like, do you remember this, and did it go this way, and how do I remember it? And um, I, I've thought a lot. Uh, when I was very small, we lived next door to a family called the Allens, and um, Morgan and my brother Drew and I just like lived outside. It was how I felt like my kids were last summer during the pandemic. We lived outside all the time. And what's fun is Morgan is still a friend and, and, and we've spent our entire lives together. Her, her dad, Randall, um, was our dentist, which is very, it's a great idea to live next door to a dentist um, because we lived next door to him at the period of my life when I felt like all of my teeth were falling out of my head. Um, and it wasn't until I had my own kids that I realized that there is great trauma around teeth pooling. If you've had to do this as a parent, it is horrific. But I used to just go out in the front yard and Randall would talk to my parents and wiggle my teeth out. And I just thought that was, you know, I don't know what your neighboring experience was like, but, <laughs> but mine pulled my teeth out. So um, um, then we moved uh, later in elementary school to a new neighborhood and I live next door to my friend Taylor, who opened the restaurant Amici. If you uh, have been there, if you haven't been there, this is my shameless plug that Amici is delicious. It's uh, so good. My friend Taylor owns it. He was uh, a neighbor. Uh, he lived across the street. Uh, next door was Mr. and Mrs. George, and um, and they're just people that I remember so fondly. They were the coolest. Uh, Mr. George was a professional jazz musician. And Mrs. George was a college professor at a time uh, when black women were not uh, generally college professors. And she was just this uh, hero, hero, hero of mine as a kid and hero uh, still of my life. And, um, and they had this cool, in their basement, they had a music studio uh, for his jazz. And it was awesome. We weren't really allowed to go in it. But every once in a while, Mr. George would take us and, like, let us see the studio. And, um, and it just had this smell. Like, every once in a while, I'll smell a smell that smells a little bit like the studio. And all the, the hairs on my arm will stand up because this room, it was just like this room where magic happened. It was the coolest place. And um, you just knew that magic had happened in uh, this room. And um, in that same neighborhood, uh, Kareem, who goes here, lived down the street. And he would come play basketball with his friends in our driveway with my dad. And um, at the time, I don't know, I was probably in middle school. And at the time in middle school, uh, something I was not interested in was basketball. Um, but when Kareem and his friends came over, I became very interested <laughs> in basketball. 
uh, uh, we had these buddies that actually were the niece and nephew of Mr. and Mrs. George Lamont and Kay, and I could like, uh, uh, I could hear uh, Kay's voice, and be, I would be like sitting on the couch and doing something like, like, I'm never going outside, it's too hot, I'm not an outdoor person, and I hate basketball, and then I would hear Kareem laughing and Kevin talking to him, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, no, I'm, I, I'm Muggsy Bogues out here, like I love, I've never loved anything like I love basketball, and so, but I have all these memories of playing horse and around the world for hours and hours and hours. The only reason I ever played basketball other than when Kareem was over was just so I didn't look stupid when the neighborhood boys came over to play and they were so cute. So um, so I have this like catalog of stories of being a kid with our neighbors. I hope you do too. I hope that this series has done something similar to you that you can Uh, go back, and um, some of you may have great trauma uh, with neighbors, but my hope is that you have stories like this, just warm stories of of people that you lived around that you knew that loved you and you loved them and and still get to be part of your life, which is the coolest thing uh, in the world. So um, just to catch you up, from the last couple of weeks, I've talked about, um, or we together have been talking about the call to neighboring, how um, small and intentional things can make a huge difference in how in learning how to be a good neighbor. Things like uh, the power of learning how to uh, learn, retain, and use someone's name. Like the, sm- the, the small act of great power in uh, just learning uh, someone's name. The, the power that could happen from 10 minutes being spent in your front yard versus your back, you know, fenced in yard. Or um, in front of your apartment complex instead of just in your apartment or, or however that works out for you. We talked about these little practices that have the potential to work uh, together to catalyze great change in us and great change on our streets and great change in our complexes and communities and farms and cities and wherever it is that we live. And we've read the same uh, text every single week. We've been in Luke 10. We're going to keep being in Luke 10. Um, Those first few verses from today that Chad read, um, these uh, verses that he read today in Matthew 22, Jesus is talking about these verses and he calls them the greatest commandment. That The greatest commandment is uh, to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked about how um, loving our neighbors is, is, is bigger and wider maybe than just the people that live right next door to us. But, but how um, a part of it must mean that Jesus meant loving our actual neighbors. That they aren't uh, disqualified because the neighbor word is bigger. But they're actually part of who we're called uh, to love and to know and to, be, uh, to live as part of. Uh, last week we talked about how... Um, that was a great, greatest commandment, um, but for how, how for so many of us, the barrier between reading uh, a great commandment and doing the commandment of loving our neighbor uh, is time. That time stands like this barrier in between these two things. And we talked about uh, becoming interruptible in our neighborhoods, about what that looks like to be interruptible uh, in our neighborhoods. I love it. Um, uh, I was talking uh, to my friend Katie, who comes here this week, and I stopped by to drop something off at her house, and she was like, I keep standing out in the yard and I'm being interruptible and no one's interrupting me and she was just so fired up like she was doing we we would you know we challenged like 10 minutes she was like I'm out there and I'm not interruptible and I was like oh Katie unfortunately interruptions require you to be doing something really important or time sensitive like no no one wants to talk to you when you're just standing out there so um uh, but we've used this card uh you probably have one somewhere close to you um if you haven't seen this yet uh here's what we've done is we have just tried uh to write the names of the eight people that live closest to us, apartment, house, farm, 
community, whatever that looks like. It, it won't look exactly like this. Maybe it does for you, but not exactly. Um, and so take this with you. Uh, this is what we're using these weeks. We're trying to fill out this card, uh, learning the names of the people who live close to us. So I wonder, have any, did any of you take like a step this week? Did you learn a new name or spend 10 minutes in the yard or buy ruthless elimination of hurry or ruthlessly hurry to buy elimination of hurry or things like that? Um, Every week we've been sort of challenging ourselves. It's, um, and here's the thing. It's not too late. Um, this, is, this is so important. Uh, we believe that uh, neighboring is a kingdom way to live our lives. And so our hope isn't just to talk about this for a few weeks and do this for a few weeks. Our hope is that we would start uh, taking steps into incorporating this as part of our life, that we would learn how to show up in the world as a good neighbor um, and take small steps toward a really good thing. So... Um, this week, we're going to do two things. Um, one is we finally finished the story. I waited for Chad to read the scripture so I could give him the longest ones uh, possible. It's sort of a thing we have going. Um, uh, but we also are going to talk about one more barrier that I think gets in the way of us and neighboring, and that is fear. Um, so before I jump fully into fear, I just want to say something to kind of get us all on the same page. Um, what, uh, when I'm talking about fear, when I'm talking against fear, um, I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not saying to blindly dismiss every fear you have and jump uh, like boundaryless and wide open into all of your neighbor's lives as deep as possible. Um, there is something um, very biblical and very Holy Spirit called discernment, and discernment is a good, good thing. Discernment, it can save us from danger and unhealthy situations, and we should listen to it. Discernment is the voice, the Spirit of God in our lives saying, be careful, or watch out there, or not them, or you're being manipulated, or, or things like that. We should listen uh, to this voice in our lives. But uh, I think that over time, the voice of fear in our minds and the voice of discernment in our minds have started to kind of blend together. This has been my experience. Um, I don't want to speak for all of you, but, but, um, but especially this year, right? This year, we learned that there really were things to be afraid of. And, and, and in response, we have or I have at times clung to fear um, as tight as I can, uh, so tightly that I called it discernment. Um, fear, it has become such a constant voice in our lives and all around us that so many of us have allowed fear uh, to move in and to buy property in our brains and build a house there and a pool because it's not, we're not, it's not planning to leave. And so I'm here to tell you that um, as people of Jesus, we have work to do around fear, more than just one sermon's worth. Um, there's a really big difference between discernment and fear, and there's, there's work to be done there. Fear, um, it can lie to us and shame us and make us suspicious and isolate us. Uh, but discernment, it leads us. Fear, it causes us to see monsters around every corner and in so many people, while discernment is, li is living a life with our eyes wide open, with the ability to see the world as it truly is. The good, the bad, the ugly. Discernment sees the world how it is, where fear sees the world as what it's afraid of. Part of the problem of uh, giving our fear such a loud voice in our lives is that it starts to shift, I think, how we view people around us. Uh, the truth is this. There are bad people in this world. There are bad people in this world. Dangerous, predatorial people. Absolutely, they are real 
and they are scary. But our fear raises the statistics and suspicions and convinces us that they are everywhere, that they are everyone, not the exception to the rule, but the rule. Whereas discernment leads us to make wise decisions and boundaries with people, while our uh, fear has this ability to strip humans of their humanity, their image of God, their imago Dei, uh, to strip that from the people that we encounter. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that as people of God, it's worth the time uh, to learn the difference between fear and discernment. If this is a struggle for you, we can meet and talk about it. I would love to talk about this with you. Um, Here's something. There are 365 fear nots or do not fears in the Bible. 365. It is the most common phrase in the entire scriptures. Do not fear. And I think that means two things. One, it matters because um, it, it, it means that I think learning how to fight fear matters because uh, Jesus and the prophets and God and Paul and everyone brings it up so many, so many times. And then the second thing I think it means is that we all are going to struggle with it. Since the beginning of time, every human in all of human history has had to wrestle with fear, fear and discernment. Um, so I think one of the most important steps in our freedom is, I think, to uh, learn to let discernment and the voice of the Spirit in our guts lead us and guide us into a world uh, with uh, wisdom and courage and kindness. Make sense, kind of? Okay, we got to talk more about that in months to come, but a little intro. So that was just a free lesson. Now we'll go on to neighboring. <laughs> uh, so here is one of the scary things about uh, your neighbors. It might not be that they are scary people, though you may have some uh, kind of creepy neighbors. Um, but sometimes one of the scariest things about our neighbors is that they, they stay there. You just keep seeing them. <laughs> right? They don't move. (laughs) They live near you. Uh, Like I am all about going somewhere to serve people, going to CARM, going on a mission trip, things like that. But what happens with those things is that when it's over, you get in your car or you get on an airplane and then you come home. Uh, Sometimes what's scarier than going on a global trip to serve someone across the world is um, having to serve and live with someone who always lives next door to you. Uh, This is one of the things I think about neighboring that makes it so intimidating. Uh, But it's also um, uh, this fight against isolation in our lives that I think Jesus is always doing in us. Uh, Jesus, he was in the business of fighting isolation. He uh, sent the, you may remember the woman at the well who is going to the well at a different time than all of the other women. and, And she has this interaction with Jesus. And the thing that he does for her is he sends her back into the town among all of the people. He finds Lazarus high up in a tree and he calls him down and then and then uh, has Lazarus throw a party among the people Jesus is in the business of fighting isolation and neighboring I think is learning uh, uh, for us how to follow Jesus out of isolation and into the lives of the people around us uh, here's another thing about learning to be a good neighbor um, that is I think is terrifying about learning to be a good neighbor uh, people are very messy do you know any people <laughs> They're very messy and uncomfortable. Like, I really, really wish that the stories of Jesus were just stories about him spending time with nice people, with nice problems that were very easy to solve. 
Um, but I, I can't find many of those in the Bible. They're just not the stories of Jesus. Quite often, Jesus models this behavior of spending time with people that make other people uncomfortable, especially the church people. He does this all the time. He hangs out with demon-possessed people and tax collectors, women with bad reputations. Uh, Peter is his best friend, and Peter says whatever's on his mind, and he cuts a guy's ear off at one point. I don't know what your friends do. The two different times Jesus hang out with a whole bunch of people and they don't even bring lunch and he has to like provide it for them. And I wonder when is the last time you found yourself doing this, putting yourself around people that are uncomfortable? Um, I thought this was a strength of mine. Um, I, I have a background in young life and um, as uh, a young life leader, I had this drive to find like the wildest kid uh, in the room and the furthest kid from Jesus. And, and I, 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 that, was, that was how I did young life. And then, um, and I just in general like people. I'm kind of a curious person and people I think are so interesting. And so they're fascinating to me. And so I felt like for a long time, this was a strength. Like I could hang out with anyone and, and have fun. But a few years ago, I met my match. Um, I have this friend, and he would very much love for me to tell you his name right now, but I'm not going to. Um, but when we started spending time together, he, he was a mess. Like, um, this is literally what I wrote. He was a big wad of bad choices. <laughs> he did not care what anyone thought. You think you know people who don't care what anyone thought. I, I've never... It, 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 he, his clothes. It was the, the first time I met him. I met him. I was preaching at the Bijou when we had our Knoxville location, and he came up to me afterward, and I assumed that he was one of the many homeless people that were there. And I'm like reaching in my pocket for money, and then I realized he is um, an administrator in a school. Like he's not. He just looks like a, uh, just wild, and and his vo- his language was horrible. It was so salty. He, his language was almost exclusively bowling words, um, and. <laughs> And his voice is so loud, like so, so loud. And then his voice, it's like it has the sensor when um, he senses that someone is uncomfortable with the way he's talking. His voice just gets louder and louder and louder. Legitimately, um, he once told me that making people feel shocked and uncomfortable was one of, I'm quoting him here, the great joys of his life. (laughs) And so uh, spending time in public with a preacher was like Disney World for him. He loved it because he would stand with me and people would know my job. And then he would say the most horrific thing. I mean, just like, you know, people, it was, anyway, uh, he, 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 it's me, the preacher, and him looking and acting like a homeless, cursing radio announcer whose volume got turned up. He came to our boys' baseball game one time, and I remember just bouncing in different places on the bleachers, so I don't know if I just didn't want anyone to know he was with me, or like just maybe shield them from some of the stuff he was saying. People, they are very messy, and they are very uncomfortable sometimes, and they're awkward sometimes. And life with Jesus, this is so hard because our our job as believers in Jesus is to model our lives uh, after him, our behaviors after him. And the reality is Jesus was always in the mix, and he was always with the hooligans. Part of loving our neighbors well means Learning how to lean in and engage in awkward and uncomfortable spaces. Neighboring, it puts us in proximity to people, uh, and then it causes us to confront our fears about them. Our fears around awkward silences. Anyone else? It's like my worst nightmare. Our, our fears around the way we're seen and presented uh, to other people. Our fears around comfort. Our fears around how we spend our time. 
Spending time with neighbors causes us to have to confront our fear of the way other people do things, right? You might, uh, example, you might not drink alcohol, but all your neighbors drink alcohol. Or you might not let your kids ride their scooters in the road, or, uh, and then all your neighbors let their scooters ride their, kids ride their scooters wherever they want to ride their scooters, or let their kids watch shows or, or say words that you would not let your kids say. Or uh, you may have voted for one, this is a big one, you may have voted for one person and your entire neighborhood voted uh, for someone else. Uh, I'm not saying uh, to be a good neighbor, you have to start drinking and playing in the road and letting your kids watch great Game of Thrones and, um, and vote opposite of the way you feel compelled to do. I'm not saying that. I'm saying neighboring puts us in proximity to people, and that proximity and experience has this way of making us confront our fears of others, our fears of other, of otherness. It confronts the fear that we all have to one degree of an, uh, or another of how on earth we're supposed to interact with people not like us. Uh, the trouble with the story that Jesus told uh, today that Chad read for us, a man is attacked and he's left on the side of the road. And a priest and a temple worker, two religious workers, uh, pass by him. But also two men of his same ethnic and cultural background uh, pass by him. They walk right uh, by afraid it says the priest Jesus tells us crosses to the other side of the road but then a Samaritan a despised an outsider he comes and he helps and then Jesus at the end of the story he asked the lawyer who was uh, trying to you know ask him some questions and he says who's this man's neighbor and and the lawyer replies the one who showed mercy and Jesus says yes go and do the same do like the outsider Jesus calls neighbor uh, the one who showed mercy. Neighboring has the ability to confront what we are afraid of in other people, confront those things that make us want to move to the other side of the road or bounce around the bleachers so no one knows we're with that guy. But Jesus calls neighbor the one who showed mercy. I think it's incredibly important when we uh, read the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, um, to figure out who we are in the story, but also to figure out who he is in the story. Uh, when we read the parables, the stories of Jesus, it's a good practice to ask ourselves, who am I in this story? Who is Jesus in this story? And in our story today, uh, Jesus is the Samaritan, the, the one called good, the one who showed mercy. Uh, this story, it's absolutely about being a neighbor, about how to be a good neighbor. But like all other stories of Jesus, it is as much a story about the goodness of the great Samaritan the goodness of the greatest neighbor as it is about how we can become one. Above all, it is a story about the Jesus who comes after us when we are bloody and beaten on the side of the road, all out of cash. The one who doesn't keep walking by us, who never keeps walking by. The one who scoops us up into his arms and gently nurses our wounds and pays for our room and offers to come back and check and pay any outstanding charges, who settles the bill. It is the story about the Jesus who came after us in our great need and showed us mercy. It's a reminder uh, that fear isn't what drives us, but mercy is. In the kingdom of God, our energy doesn't come from what we're afraid of. Our energy comes from mercy. That's why we neighbor. We neighbor because we've been, been neighbored. 
Let me say that again. That was tough. We neighbor because we have been neighbored. We make room for others because room was made for us. We don't live boundaryless, but we live interruptible because we have interrupted and room was made for us. We lead with mercy because we have been led by and shown a very great mercy. We learn to become great neighbors because we have come in contact with the great neighbor. I'm not saying this to to shame you or wag my finger and say, aren't you grateful and why can't you be a better neighbor? Uh, I'm saying this to set you free. You have come in contact with the great neighbor, the hope of the world, and it's in your bones. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. You have access to the art of neighboring from the one who perfected the art. That isn't pressure, I hope. I hope that's a breath, like a, a, a bomb um, to all of the fear of not being enough that rages inside me and you and all of us because that's one of the other fears of neighboring. Uh, some of us don't do it because we're scared we won't be enough. But this is in us. It's in me. It's in you. It's in us by the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to take a minute here and be quiet before the Lord on this. Uh, we call this Selah. It's just a breath or a pause. Um, and the band's going to come up, and, and I just want to pray into some things uh, around this for us because I, I really do think the Spirit wants to do some work in us on confronting fear and growing us in discernment and courage and confidence in Jesus. So let's just pray, and then we'll be quiet. There'll be some verses on the screen. You can follow along, and then we'll come to the table. Uh, so, Father... Ask your uh, spirit to be here. We believe your spirit is here, but I ask you to wake us up to the presence of your spirit in this room. And I thank you for the reminder that we have come into contact with the greatest neighbor. That we uh, have interrupted. That room was made for us where there was no room. That mercy was shown to us in our deepest need. And so I pray for those of us that, um, gosh, it's easy to forget that. It's like maybe we grew up in the church and we believed it for so dang long that it's easy to forget how big and wild and true it is. So I just pray in this moment that you would, um, I don't know, like images in our mind that you would, um, show us where you have neighbored us along the way. And I pray that that would be what um, propels us forward into learning what it looks like to be a good neighbor to the world. That we, we won't do this because we think we have to or because we think you won't love us if we don't or it'll make us a bad Christian or whatever, you know, crazy reasons we, we do things. I pray that we will do this um, out of the overflow of the mercy shown to us. I pray that um, you would fill our minds with pictures of the awkward and uncomfortable person uh, that might be for us um, some sort of shift and some sort of awakening about uh, how you chased us in our awkward and uncomfortable. So yeah, so we just give you these few minutes. Would you, we just trust your spirit. Will you work on us in our fear? Will you work on us? Um, it, with discernment, and will you draw us to yourself that we might show up in this world for the good of the world? In your name we pray, amen.